Welcome to the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast. Today is Friday, September 23rd, 2022. I'm John Bodhortz, the editor of Commentary Magazine, encouraging you to go to commentary.org slash roast for information about the 2022 roast, commentary roast of Barry Weiss on Sunday, November 13th. You've heard me talk about it before. This is our major fundraiser of the year. We are a nonprofit. We need to raise money in order to keep bringing you this podcast and the magazine and the website. So uh, it's an expensive ticket, but it's an amazing evening. Uh, this is our 11th or 12th or 13th. Uh, gotta gotta figure that out at some point, <laughs> figure out how to count. Um, and uh, past roasties have included Dick Cheney, Jonah Goldberg, Ben Shapiro, Mayor Soloveitchik, Roger Hertog, Charles, the late Charles Krauthammer, and my parents, the late Midge Dector and Norman Podhoritz, uh, Dan Senor, um, probably missing one or two, and now Barry Weiss joins their number. Uh, so you can tell by the fact that this thing has gone on since 2010 that uh, that it's a real uh, event that uh, pleases people, raises money, and does its job. So if you haven't been, come. If you have been, rejoin us. Commentary.org slash roast. Uh, one programming note, we will be dark Monday and Tuesday because of the Rosh Hashanah holiday. So we will not have podcasts those days, and we will be back on Wednesday to provide you with more crushing morosity in the voices of my colleagues executive editor abe greenwald hi abe hi john media commentary columnist and american enterprise institute fellow christine rosen hi christine hi john and associate editor and author of the rise of the new puritans noah rothman hi noah hi john um so ron Klain, the white house chief of staff uh angering christine uh, yesterday by uh, by saying the following. It's easy to forget when Joe Biden came to office, people were in line at football stadiums looking for a box of food. The unemployment rate was 10%. Businesses closed, schools closed. So, Christine, explain to me why this makes you angry. So this is um this is classic gaslighting, and we've seen little snippets of it here and there uh, among um, some elected officials, in, mainly in blue states, wringing their hands now as they see the absolute destruction they've made of children's education um, because of school closures during the pandemic. So they you know now they they just feel terrible, but of course it's their fault because they chose to extend school closures. Um, at the behest of largely in many cases of teachers unions long past the point they were necessary. So Ron Klain saying this, though, is particularly um, obnoxious because what we're seeing the Biden administration try to do with regard to COVID, which, as we talked about earlier this week, is kind of in an interesting spot. He's declared it over. Yesterday, Rochelle Walensky was hedging that that statement um, to the news media. They're not sure exactly how to play this. So Ron Klain is trying one tactic, and that's to blame it all on Trump to say it was so terrible, you know, thank God Biden came in and saved us all. You know, when he when he came into office, there were there were food lines and everything was closed. But of course, if you look at the facts and the historical record, 
many of those closures continued under Biden and were encouraged in blue states by democratically elected officials, um, absolutely decimating the economy and absolutely uh, doing terrible things for, for school children in public schools who couldn't go back to school. Uh, that was a democratic project. That was a blue state project. No acknowledgement on the part of Klain that many states chose to do things differently. Uh, states like Florida, states like Texas, red states with Republican governors who bucked the uh, the democratic conventional wisdom on closures and did something else to, with better results. So this, this idea that oh, he's trying to tell a kind of great depression like tale of woe and in comes our hero, Joe Biden, to solve all of our problems. It's pardon the expression bullshit. It does anger me because people should not forget who which party was more likely to keep your kids out of school, keep businesses closed and then spend unbelievable sums of money, which drove up inflation and have, have put us in our current predicament. That was not Donald Trump. That was Biden and his Democratic Party. Ron Klain in this quote says, quote, when Joe Biden came to office, dot, 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 the unemployment rate was 10 percent. The unemployment rate in January 2021 was 6.4 percent. Yes. <laughs> so A, it's a lie. The unemployment rate hit 14% in March of 2020 when the country was shut down by practically by presidential fiat. And the minute that the fiat started to loosen, the unemployment rate descended vertiginously. Just go look at any chart. So first of all, it's a lie what he is saying. And it's a pretty shocking lie, by the way, um, because the unemployment rate over the course of the first five months of the Biden presidency from January to May went from 6.4% to 5.8%, which is a lovely fact that the unemployment rate declined uh, 0.6% or about 10%. But it's also the case that it declined from, uh, excuse me, um, where were we? 14.7% to 6.4% in the last eight months of the Trump presidency. And I don't know when people were lining up in stadiums trying to get boxes of food, but that was not January 2021, when not only was the unemployment rate that, but I just want to check on the GDP rate uh, in the, you know, like the last quarter of 2020. Hold on. Uh, uh gdp growth in was like seven percent or something like that uh, because it had of course gone down to this crazy uh number um no in in it went down 31 percent in uh the second quarter and by the fourth quarter it was up four and a half percent so uh and can I when just Biden I, took office, GDP was growing, unemployment was falling, people weren't getting boxes of food at stadiums. They're getting this boxes of lie. food now. Okay, because Christine, of now you're muted. Yeah. Oh, no. I am. No, she's not. You're not no. muted. No, I don't think so. I'm just interrupting boldly because I want to say like the boxes of food thing in particular was annoying because right now the people who who are going to food pantries are facing two things. One is that they have. Uh, Inflation has driven up their food bills to the point where they do need supplemental help with their food. And the food pantries themselves are really struggling to keep their shelves stocked because of inflation. So that's 
again with the boxes of also food. i mean the whole framing of what he's saying is so preposterous because let's even say we're the the details were correct which they're flagrantly not he's acting as if well that was all the result of um republican policy that like you know there was no pandemic <laughs> you know that that that, that look, look at all these bad policies had had people out of work and 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 lining up for for food and stadiums i confess I, I mean, i'm a little confused honestly yeah. because <clears throat> i mean i remember this very vividly there were miles long lines of cars lining up for food banks in texas in mm -hmm. the south um that was 2020 the argument was that this was occurring because Congress had not passed enough stimulus and they heaped blame on Republicans. So while I find that disingenuous, I don't think it's revisionist history per se. Okay. That employment we're, rate we're not, was a lie, though. Yeah. But we're not right. talking about 2020. When Joe Biden took office, that was his framing. That was January 20th, 2021. And I don't think people were lining up for boxes of food. I mean, maybe I'm crazy. I mean, they were in December <clears throat> of 2020. Where? Texas, the South. I mean, I'm looking right at it. Yeah, there were definitely millions of some hungry places. Americans turned yeah. to food banks for the first time. AP, December 7th, 2020. Long food lines signal need for more coronavirus aid. CNBC, November 25th, 2020. Okay. All right. Okay. So people were lining up for boxes of food i apologize for getting that wrong <laughs> it's not it's true it's tragic it was engineered top down right it did happen but i mean I, i'm just saying like here's what happened if we want to talk about the pandemic shall we talk about the pandemic when trump was president in the first eight months of the trump presidency I think 400,000 people died from the coronavirus and during the biden presidency 600,000 plus have died from the coronavirus. What was the difference between the two administrations? Uh, Biden had the vaccine during his administration, and nonetheless, the death toll was larger than it was under Trump. So the Democratic line that Trump made the uh, pandemic worse and that, you know, Trump made the economy worse and all of that. Whatever you want to say about Trump's handling of the pandemic, and we have said many, many unfavorable things about his handling of the pandemic. Um, by every metric, Biden's handling of the pandemic, if you're, or if you're trying to look at outcome numbers, was worse than Trump's. That is to say, if you want, if you're if if, the, if this is if this is the way you want to measure this, as opposed to saying, there was a terrible disease that afflicted the country and we're not blaming politicians for it because that's disgusting, which is the, actually the, what, what we should do and what Ron Klain should do. You don't blame Trump for the economy of the pandemic, which I think was sort of, you know, Noah's and Christine's points right here. You don't blame Trump for the fact that the country was hit with a once in a century calamity and catastrophe and i wouldn't blame biden for it either the only thing that i blame biden for in relation to the economy since the pandemic is the inflationary spike that was the result of the policies that he advocated once he became president that's it but that's why it's a non sequitur because what would he have done different what he policy not spent all that money have, that was what policy would he have put in place that would not have created these bread lines that would not have mean, accelerated the unemployment right. No, in fact, I think you could make the claim that that didn't go far enough. He would have exacerbated right. It would have exacerbated it. Um, that the lockdowns would have been more severe and would have been 
championed at the national level in a much more systematic way that the federal government's power, emergency powers would have been deployed in a more draconian way than they were under That's Trump. not a hypothetical. They lobbied very hard to force Gretchen Whitmer to reintroduce a lockdown in Michigan when there was an Omicron spike. And well, and this smartly resisted. I think a lot of this, though, has a has a midterm election focus, which is they're trying to find a way to claim. Well, he's claiming explaining away inflation. Right. They're trying to find a story that'll stick with Americans who are still suffering the everyday effects of inflation. Gas prices are creeping back up. Groceries are still super expensive. They don't have a good story. They can't really blame. Like they were in charge of Congress, you know, they <laughs> Yes, Trump is always the one you can point to just to get people riled up. But at a certain point, you know, he's got it. The Biden administration has to start taking responsibility for the the policy decisions it made once he became president. As John said, inflation has not eased. They passed an Inflation Reduction Act that had nothing to do with inflation in which plenty of uh, thoughtful economists warned would likely increase inflation. He had warnings before the last round of COVID spending that it was a bad idea. Larry Summers was like, you know what? I think this is going to contribute to inflation. Plenty of people were sending up warning flags saying this might not be good for the economy. He didn't listen. And so now there's this now we have high inflation, but they don't want to take responsibility for it. I get that's an election year. But he, this kind of thing, this kind of gaslighting by Ron Klain is absolutely condescending and preposterous. I, in my spare time that I have when I'm sitting watching my children play football or what have you i'm re-watching breaking bat and because <clears throat> it's very good and i actually want to watch uh better call Saul, but you need to watch an entire six episode six season show to watch that other show so anyway i'm watching this the the lie just catches up with you it's not as though you want to revisit this stuff even if you want to move on from it if you can't keep your story straight people keep asking you about your story and the pandemic at least what we're talking about here, this attempt to retrofit a lie and a narrative, a favorable narrative onto what happened in the pandemic continues to catch up with the people who are the executors of these lies, namely Anthony Fauci, who um, spoke with Kev uh, Evan Smith, CEO of uh, the Texas Tribune on Thursday, trying to you know polish his record, burnish his record. But in doing so, he has to tear down everybody around him who failed him because they just simply didn't live up to his expectations. And in doing so, he's creating more lies. Quote, we didn't know that masks worked outside of the hospital setting. This is something Anthony Fauci said. It came right out of his mouth. Quote, there's supposedly a shortage of good masks for the people who were taking care of individuals, Fauci told uh, Evan Smith. Knowledgeable evidence and data evolves. And as it evolves, you have to be flexible enough to change. And that's what science is all about. He later went on to defend school closing, saying it was a difficult decision, but it was, quote, worth it to flatten the curve, even at the expense of a lost generation. Um, <clears throat> I believe he's probably sincere in that, but he does not believe that he didn't understand that masks worked. He just doesn't, simply doesn't believe it. And he has so little respect for your intelligence that he thinks you'll buy it, or at the very least, you'll repeat it so that you'll advance the cause to which uh, your, your, your fealty belongs and he be per, perceiving himself to be the head of that cause. You'll defer to him and whatever he says. Man's a maniac. Well, this is a lie about a lie, right? Um, because the the initial Fauci lie here was to was to say that masks don't work. I mean, this 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 was a this was a, a lie he had admitted to 
uh, under a, correct, sort of, yeah, sort of claiming it as a as a noble lie, yeah, um, just like you know, the herd immunity threshold. This saying is, that you know he admitted he, these lies, right? That is saying that we said masks don't work because we needed them at the front line, which is why I'm he, I'm hearing just Walter yeah. White making up a gambling story to cover up the meth winnings. So then he drops the lie and says everybody has to wear a mask. Also because the science changes or whatever it, it, it was that he said. We then have a year of evidence that masking probably doesn't work. I mean, there's Certainly one not study the way in, we were all masking right. with either bad cloth masks or regular yeah. surgical masks. Yeah. yeah. There was this one study, right, of Bangladesh, was it? Areas, the rates a little lower than elsewhere. But we have evidence from, you know, sort of masks evidence of the states that required masking versus the states that did not require masking. And that COVID did not spread worse in the states that did not require masking as in the states that did. I don't know how much better you can do on the question of the efficacy of masks than that. And it's important I to do- note that the CDC actively did not, they they did not discuss those studies or put them up on the informational. They ignored the studies that showed that masking was largely ineffective. Although in this case, no one needed to do anything except say, Florida, no mask mandate, X number of cases. New York, mask mandate, X number of cases. Florida's percentage of COVID deaths and COVID masking no higher, no low, whatever, California and Florida or whatever it was, however, te- California and Texas. Um, so then th- this is how things are. But by this point, masking had become a political fetish or a signpost or something like that. And I mean, I hate to put it this way because it sounds sort of Ayn Randian or something, or you know, Nat Connish, but it's like masking was a mark of your fealty to the COVID regime. And everybody who was running the COVID regime wanted people masked as a as a marker that they were taking the advice of the public health authorities and were living under their aegis. And it had its own purpose at that point. And that's neither a lie nor a truth. It is simply a display of power or a display, even if you think the power is righteous and just because people need to follow this guidance. I just read Michael Lewis's book, The Premonition, which was published last year, which is about, uh, you know, his classic story of, you know, people you've never heard of in the bureaucracy who saw the truth you know, 10 years before anybody else did and were working, you know, against the evil, you know, senior authorities who were clueless to, you know, get the country ready for this pandemic. And it's interesting reading it now because he published it in 2021. And it's about people who said, we need to do social distancing and masking. It's basically, if a pandemic is coming, social distancing is the only thing that we have aside from treatments that might mitigate the effects but and so and so because this came out in early 2021 it's all about the heroism of this opinion and all of that except when you read the book it's very clear that the idea is that all of this needs to be put into place before before the virus 
starts spreading wildly. Once the virus starts spreading wildly, social distancing no longer works. Once the virus starts spreading wildly, there is no suppressing the spread of the virus except with treatments or utter quarantining, which isn't social distancing, that is actual quarantining, or treatments. That's what the people who invented the masking and social distancing regime believed. It was when it was in Wuhan in October that you could have had the President of the United States go on TV, say, there is a once-in-a-century virus that's about to hit this country. Everybody needs to wear a mask for a month and stay six feet apart for a month. While it come, If it comes over here, we can stop it from killing anybody or killing very few people or something like that. But it was already here, and it was here for six weeks before they imposed the mask mandate. And according to the very theory that led to the mask mandate, it was already too late for the mask mandate. And that was in 2020. It's fascinating to think about, because in the end, the purpose of this was to say people are like, oh, my God, this thing is coming. What are we going to do? We need to do something. And then the answer was, "Okay, put on a mask. I know we told you for six weeks, don't put on a mask. Now we're telling you to put on a mask because they didn't have anything else to offer because it's a pandemic, a disease that we didn't understand whose ideology we had been lied to about. We didn't have any visibility or transparency about where it came from or how it spread or what was going on in China that they had already learned in the three months before it came here. Nothing. We knew nothing. And so they provided this desperate effort to sort of like empower people to help themselves. And then entropy set in. Well, and that that actually, this is where the hangover effects of this sort of weird decision-making, the erosion of trust that people had in public health officials, there are, there are still people taking advantage of that situation. And and two two little uh, interesting news stories this week. One is that Megan McArdle in the Washington Post has a great column about how unions are making remote work a, a bargaining issue. So they want this sort of permanent ability to do remote work. Um, and this includes like teachers. And to that point, New York City's teachers, according to its teachers unions, are doing all remote parent-teacher conferences. I'm battling this in, in DC too. They're using the these, these um, emergencies, supposedly temporary things that we did during lockdowns and during the height of COVID. They want to extend them forever. And these are coming at the detriment largely of the people who can uh, protest the least, which are school kids, um, but also offices. I mean, you're seeing New York Times is uh, has a lot of employees whose union is saying we want to work remotely forever. This is going to, perhaps they'll get those demands met. Perhaps that's something businesses will do and, and we'll have a new kind of, you know, work from home economy. But in some areas, particularly schools, my kid can't track down his counselor because she works remotely from home a few days a week. Why? There's no reason for her to be remote. There's every reason for her to be at her desk helping the, the thousands of kids at his school who need, you know, help with their counseling needs. Uh, this is a college counselor. So these sorts of things are going to become entrenched if, if, businesses and and uh, politicians don't start pushing back against these kinds of union demands and these kinds of demands from workers if they don't suit the business's needs or the school's needs. I mean, two other important things to note. Uh, one of our big bugbears here, um, uh, the Biden administration's vaccine requirement for students and teachers at Head Start was struck down. 
Yay, on Wednesday yes. by federal judge Terry Dowdy. So um, that at least very good news uh, has ended. Um, and uh, our, our mayor here in New York City, Eric Adams, announced that the city would no longer require vaccines for children participating in after school activities or mandate that private employers require employee vaccination, though I believe the firing of hundreds of, uh, of, of teachers and teachers aides for refusing to go along with vaccination continues. Again, I think that the vaccine mandate last year made sense. I think the vaccine mandate no longer makes sense because we know that Omicron evades, uh, you know, Omicron, if, if, you can't get immunity from the vaccine from Omicron. You can, it, it mitigates its effect, but it does not stem its transmission or, um, you know, doesn't, it, so if you get it, you're not helping anybody else. Right. That's the important. The reason that you have vaccine mandates is you need to get vaccinated to prevent you you from spreading the disease to somebody else. If that's no longer at issue, then um, then vaccine mandates are an unbelievably uh, unconstitutional imposition on people's, you know, basically, I I, I thought we believed in the autonomy of the uh, private body. Uh, but uh, apparently that only matters if there's a fetus inside you. So um we're just in an interesting area here. And yeah, the gaslighting is very important because I maybe look at it this way. You know, this uh, famous thing where, uh, where notorious thing where Steve Bannon said that uh, we're just going to unload a blizzard of uh, feces. Uh, you know, like we're just going to dump it on everybody to confuse everything. And that, um, Biden's interview where he says uh, COVID is over and now we have three days of the administration saying COVID isn't over. Maybe this is helpful to them as a PR matter. So you have one part of the administration saying COVID is over and another part saying COVID isn't over. We're all going, you're gaslighting us. This is crazy. This is nuts. But then people can hear what they want to hear. Or no, I don't think it so. Just remain- okay. I don't think so. There's, an, there's a full-on revolt in the, the far left uh, liberals who own media. They own Reuters, they own ABC News, they own the Washington Post editorial board, they own Time Magazine, and they are up in arms, freaking out. Um, <clears throat> as we talked about Reuters, Biden says the pandemic's over, even as the death toll and costs mount. ABC News, the pandemic is emph- emphatically not over. NPR News saying thousands of cases are being detected every day. And this, the most uh, wonderful thing I've ever read in my life in Time Magazine, there's maybe like a 2,000 word piece on the betrayal that Joe Biden has meted out to long COVID sufferers. One long COVID activist who has become a long COVID activist, this is his vocation. Quote, we're in the middle of the greatest mass disabling event in human history. And this is a guy who's who's everywhere. Um, He added that uh, return to normalcy that Joe Biden has advocated represents a, quote, crime against humanity. Uh, th- this is a very influential, albeit very modest, uh, demographic. According to polling, uh, the people who were still wearing their masks to the tune of 44% as of last month identify as, quote, very liberal. Uh, this is a far-left thing. Joe Biden is beholden to uh, far-left activists. And... I don't think this helps him. I think it creates more friction within his his coalition. He has a horse sense of the electorate that his we he might benefit from the end of the pandemic. He's not wrong, but I don't think they're going to let him get away with it. By the way, we talk you, about long. Oh, uh, go ahead. I, well, you, you know what this 
tells me, um, among other things. So, you know, we often wonder about uh, the people who are still wearing masks, to, to what degree that is um, purely advertising a sort of tribal affiliation. Um, I think here we see that it's not just that. There are, there are, they are, there are people who are trapped in the, the, their pandemic heads here um, for various reasons. Uh, it's, it's, it, they're not just advertising their virtue by wearing a mask anymore. It's, it's, it's a, like a lifestyle choice. Okay, I want to talk about long COVID. But, but it can't a, be their long I'm sorry. Yeah, John, go ahead. But it's not just their lifestyle choice. It has to be your lifestyle choice. If it was just I, a choice for us, for them individually, no one would care. But it, it has to be an act of solidarity. Well, okay, let me, let me, by the way, lay this out for you for a minute, because I was wondering whether I was going to talk about this, but I've decided to talk about it. We have Rosh Hashanah coming up. Our rabbi sent out an email two weeks ago declaring that because of sensitivities relating to COVID and older populations who said that they might have difficulty coming to synagogue on the high holy days uh, without everybody being masked, everybody is going to be masked uh, through the high holy days. And then when it's over, then everybody can take their mask off because this is to be a kindness, uh, you know, to the, to the community of people who don't want to go. And I am outraged. I am angry. A lot of people in the congregation are angry because, uh, if you don't want to come, don't come. If you want to come, you wear a mask. Uh, you know, this is an important day of, you know, this is an important, this is the, these are the most important holidays of the year. I need to take my kids to synagogue. And, um, and I do not appreciate the imposition of this upon me. And it is preposterous, but because uh, my being masked will have absolutely no effect on the person who is next. If there's a person next to me who is worried about getting COVID, uh, that person next to me can wear a mask and have whatever germs I am supposedly spewing on him interrupted by his N95 and his face screen and his body armor. But, you know, this is, there's, you know, this is a, uh, this is an act that is going to interfere with my ability to be present at the most important religious, you know, ceremonies of the year for my people because of this outrageous decision uh, to, to do this. And this is where I go to synagogue and where I have tickets and all of that. And I just think it is, a sign, yes, I live on the Upper West Side, so here we are, but uh, it is a sign of the nature of the consuming quality of this neurosis that has afflicted everybody, that it has an impositional quality. You know, right, indulge, this... indulge your neurosis all you want. It's, you know, remember the whole thing about the privacy of your own bedroom? So indulge your neurosis all you want or or deal with your deal with your, uh, you know, immune system problems, all that you want. There are 1,200 other people who are going to be going to synagogue. And by the way, other synagogues in the city are not requiring this, but there are, there are a bunch of other people who are going to be going to synagogue. And we are supposed to be there in order to have a religious experience. And I'm going to be sitting there feeling the mask around my ear, breathing through, you know, breathing through the mask. It's going to be hot. I'm going to be annoyed. My kids are going to be annoyed. You think this is the kind of experience that helps you 
you know, do what you are supposed to be doing on the days of all, which is reflecting on the sins of the past year and trying to and trying to get yourself inscribed in the book of life for a coming year. No, it's not. Okay, so back to I don't want you to get off long COVID because we've been promising to talk about long COVID for probably five and a half months. And uh, in this Time Magazine piece quotes Hannah Davis, who is a researcher who herself suffers from long COVID, has testified before Congress to this effect, is quoted in this Time Magazine as saying that uh, the government doesn't seem to want to dwell on the scary stats about long COVID. Quote, it really does look like it's being hidden intentionally. And so this unproven virus, unproven malady rather, is uh, associated with this virus, uh, is being, it, there's a conspiracy to not prove that this thing exists. And because we know it exists and there's a conspiracy around it, she advocates, again, in this Time Magazine piece, what can we all do about this? Well, a return to mask mandates would be nice as a first step. Okay. Well, and I, I, we, we know, I would say like medically, because none of us are doctors, we, this is an, a, an example where public health officials and medical professionals could actually do the kind of work that's useful for the public to understand, which is to say, here's what we do know about long lingering COVID symptoms. Here's what we don't know. Here's what, it, it, can we call it a syndrome yet? We don't know. We don't have enough evidence or we do. And here's the evidence. I mean, there's a way in which I think a lot of people and, and Noah is absolutely right to point to this guy who's in all these news stories. The other person I point to is Washington Post reporter Taylor Lawrence, who uses her Twitter feed to, to constantly bemoan her supposed immunocompromised state. Maybe she is immunocompromised. I don't know, but she's yeah. constantly complaining that other people won't. She's psychologically up. immunocompromised. She's certainly got there's certainly mental health issues that are if you follow her Twitter feed, you would you will notice. But she she is another she's another example of a sort of public facing person who's who's talking about long COVID as if it's an understood and decided thing. And medical professionals are still studying this. There are people with lingering symptoms. There are people with all kinds of health uh, issues that have emerged after they've recovered from the initial cases of COVID. So we don't know enough yet. But I think but we, we should... do know something. OK, and wait, we don't wait, want wait, to talk hold about. on, hold on, hold on. So according to the CDC, I'm looking at this right here. Long COVID is defined as symptoms lasting three or four months after first contracting the virus and that people didn't have prior to their infection. So right. symptoms. Those could be any symptoms and they linger. OK, for three months. That's right. long COVID. That's the definition of long COVID. It's not. They're in bed, they're racked with pain, they have this, they have that. It's any symptom, a cough or whatever, that lasts for three months. Okay, right. now I'm looking here at the Household Pulse Survey. This is June 22, 2022, okay? This is a CDC report. Data collected from June 1st to June 13th, okay? Shows that more than 40% of adults in the United States reported having COVID-19 in the past, and nearly one in five of those, 19%, are still having symptoms of long COVID. Now, this is a very weird number uh, because way more than 40% of adults, I believe, actually had have had COVID, or at least have you know have in in theory have either they've been vaxxed or whatever. Okay, it doesn't matter. But nearly one in five of those. Okay, so it's 19% of the 40%. Okay. So what what is that? Uh, 20 percent. You know we can't do math on air, John. Hold on. That, this way lies madness. <laughs> okay. 19 20% of 4% is 8%. 8% of adults supposedly have long covid. But 
it could be nothing or it could be very severe. Uh, here is what the new data show, okay? Uh, overall, one in 13 adults in the United States, 7.5% have long COVID symptoms. Really? Doesn't that mean we all would know people with long COVID? Fine. Other older adults are less likely to have long COVID than younger adults. Nearly three times as many adults ages 50 to 59 currently have long COVID than those ages 18 and older. Women are more likely than men to have long COVID, 9.4% versus 5.5%. Okay, now here is where we start hitting the bullshit button. Okay, I want everybody to punch the bullshit button because, quote, bisexual adults and transgender adults, 7.5%. So first of all, they're claiming that bisexual adults and, okay, were more likely to have current long COVID symptoms than adults of other sexual orientations and gender identities. 12% of bisexual adults have current long COVID symptoms compared to 7% of straight and gay and lesbian adults. An estimated 15% of transgender adults have current long COVID symptoms compared to 5% of cisgender male adults and 9% of cisgender female adults. This is preposterous. <laughs> the fact that this data was even were even collected. Why were they is, even asking their sexual preference with regard okay. to COVID? Hang on, hang on. What <laughs> is what? Excuse me. What is the genomic difference between somebody who is bisexual or transgender and somebody who is not? There is none, but there is a real distinction here and i'll bring it to you via a study that none of you have ever heard of because i just heard of it published in the journal jama jama psychiatry which finds the following if you suffer from anxiety depression or loneliness you are at risk of developing long COVID symptoms to the tune of 50 percent or more breathing problems brain frog uh, brain fog chronic coughing brain overwhelming frog. fatigue brain frog um, that's what I said. I get from. brain frog all the time. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> it, if you have a psychological disposition towards depression or anxiety or just general, you know, a, a, a lack of uh, a lack of uh, comfort in your own skin, you're very likely to develop this malady. OK, which but suggests it's psychosomatic. But listen, what all this means, it's like, yeah, we're studying it more. We need to know. We don't know yet if it's a thing it's going to be deemed a thing. It's, it's, it's be already th being deemed a thing, but the fact that but it's going to be deemed a very, it. a very big, big thing because the right people are complaining about it. Uh, we need, we need this new combo victim class here and we need to talk about it. <laughs> we need to talk about how we failed them. Um, and it's going to be a big thing. It's going to be with us regardless of the data. You're okay, absolutely right. But this years. is one of those symptom things where you have to subordinate all your common sense don't push the BS detector button and just defer to a socially acceptable phenomena in public. Okay, but, but I just want to I want to go back over this because the claim here is that a virus that can hit everybody hits people who have sex with men and women both or are attracted to men and women equally more than it hits people who don't. That's insane. That is a disqualifying fact about the existence of the condition. Well, in the because that's it means why that it's a self-reported condition, and that people who have sexual behaviors different from other people are reporting it more, and that means that it is in the realm 
as Noah said, of the psychological and not the physical. It well, is not. And, a, okay, go ahead. And I, and I would say this, this actually makes, again, I go back to the, to the point, look, first of all, immune, uh, if you talk to anyone who studies the human immune system, they will tell you there is a lot of mystery there. Um, people who have immune disorders or autoimmune disorders in particular, you're, you're, immunologists cannot give you answers that are satisfying. It's just like, yeah, so your body's turning against itself. That sucks. Too bad. Psych this, psychological maladies have real physical effects. A, a bad outlook can result in right. bad outcomes. Very right. so much the, the, so. What's we all frustrating, know that. Yeah. But what's frustrating about this is that just like if, you know, our friend Ross Douthat read a whole book about sort of chronic illness, the mysteries mean that we actually have to trust true experts who will not be able to give us satisfying answers, but can acknowledge certain um, uh effects on the human body. And those have to be separated from what I think, Noah, you're talking about, which is people who are taking advantage of the mystery part of this and using it for their own um, individual and often it's emotional purposes. and moral blackmail. Yes. Okay. Because if Every... you are to say what you think, you might be if, if you can't say that transgenderism is the affirmation of a de destiny conferred at birth, somebody's going to kill themselves and it's your fault. Blackmail. Okay. Every five, 10 years, a condition pops up that is just tailor-made for psychology today and popped and all of that. And it looks like it's a disease and it's actually, a, it, it's actually something else. So in my lifetime, we have had the explosion of Epstein-Barr virus. That was in the mid Epstein-Barr virus is the source of mononucleosis, I believe. Um, and so people who were really tired, chronic fatigue, and depressed, syndrome, right. chronic fatigue syndrome and Epstein-Barr virus. There is no such thing as chronic fatigue syndrome. It does not exist. I mean, this isn't to say that there aren't people who suffer and, and millions of them suffer from a set of symptoms that are probably, you know, that, that may actually ha that have physiological effects on their bodies, but do not constitute an illness as we understand them. But are, is something else is a is a is a mental disorder or an effect this mysterious effect of brain and emotional deformations affecting your day to day, you know, actual physical feelings, right? So we had chronic fatigue and Epstein Barr. We had multiple chemical sensitivity, which was the disease where people said they couldn't leave their houses because everything made them sick. Do you remember that? That was very big in the 90s. Multiple chemical sensitivity. Can't smell anything. Can't there was a great Julianne Moore movie about it. Yeah. Yeah. Can't go into a department store Safe. because there are fragrances and all of that. And then, I mean, there have been a couple of others. So we have a world in which people have very sad things, experiences, and they medicalize them because they're feeling them physically and they're not medical. They are psychological. They are. They could be spiritual. You know, these could be, you know, I mean, uh, in a different century, we would have looked at these as some kind of almost demonic spiritual attack on you to debilitate you and all that. I am not denying that people have debilitated or feel debilitated, but um, their debilitation is not the reason why I should be wearing a mask in synagogue on the high holy days. I mean, I would have happily worn a mask on the high holy days had there been services on the high holy days in 2020 
when they wouldn't let us have services. Remember that? You remember how everything was closed? You remember that? So now we're two years later, and at my synagogue, they're making everybody wear a mask for the people who are afraid of getting COVID or have immune deficiencies who aren't going to be prevented from getting COVID by being in a masked synagogue. Well, and and on a broader kind of cultural uh, level, these the continued masking when it's unnecessary or or when it's imposed, and and particularly the the continued you know remote ways of interacting teachers and students, teachers and parents, uh, workers and and uh, fellow employees. We don't want to normalize that form of isolation. We're actually emerging from a period of great cultural and social isolation, which is which is having lots of really negative effects on people's ability to trust each other, to manage conflict, you know, to sit still in a classroom for a few hours at a time. I mean, these are genuinely real, genuine problems that we are coping with, mental health issues, all of this. So I don't, I, I worry about us normalizing in any way this kind of uh, isolationist way of interacting with each other, whether it's at work um, or not. I mean, these are actually situations that we've allowed in extreme cases for people who suffer from, you know, who are, who are very high risk. You, you can educate a child who has, who's, who's at very high risk medically. You can do that remotely. We've done that for a long time in this country, but I think normalizing this as something that is an option for everyone is not going to help us as a society. We need to get away from the, the sort of living through the screen isolationist uh, way of, of uh, dealing with each other. Um, let me just, uh, stop and talk about things that we are supposed to do alone and in isolation which is sleep in our beds uh with our loved ones if uh if that that is the case so we're talking about bowling branch sheets noah they're the best 100 organic cotton threads on earth you know better than we about their superior softness and and the better night's sleep that they provide they do provide a very lovely night's sleep they're soft and they do get softer with every wash. They fit on the fitted, the fitted sheet fits on the mattress. It's easy to do for somebody who doesn't even know really how to make a bed generally, as embarrassing as that is to admit. These hold your hand and help you make a bed. Um, they're lovely sheets. They're worth the purchase. I actually need to get another pair. Bowling Branch, if you're listening, send another pair my way. Because I'll have to buy it. <laughs> they're not. They're not going to send you another pair. Hey, now some of us haven't even because gotten our first for a whole year. year. But you can get fifteen percent off, Noah. All right, I'll you take it. Get fifteen percent off when you use promo code commentary at bowlandbranch.com to get the highest quality threads on earth, superior softness, better night's sleep. You know, forget thread count. Think about thread quality. That's what I'm trying to tell you. 100% free from toxins, no pesticides, formaldehyde, or other harsh chemicals, and a 30-night risk-free trial with free shipping and returns on all orders. That's B-O-L-L-A-N-D-B-R-A-N-C-H.com. Use promo code commentary to get that 50% off your first set of sheets. Bolandbranch.com, promo code commentary. Um so uh, I guess uh, now that we've uh, ranted about this, we can probably uh, let's not let's not end as as the new year approaches uh, for for uh, for for Jews uh, all around the world. Maybe maybe we don't want to end on a note of total uh, crushing morosity. Um, so uh, but I can't think of what that note is. I just think that. Uh, there's got to be something positive to say about, okay, I got one thing. I watched the Yankee game last night, hoping to see Aaron Judge hit his 61st homer. He didn't. 
do it. But in the uh, seventh or eighth inning, uh, a ball was hit to him in uh, in right field, uh, bounced over his head. It went to the fence. He snagged it on the first hop. The runner was going to second, and Aaron Judge, whom we only have thought about now as this you know amazing home run hitter, threw a perfect strike to second base, and the second baseman tagged the runner out at second it was a brilliant defensive play like one of the best i've seen in many years and so this is a guy who can do anything and uh you know is clearly a pleasant person uh you know is not like full of temper tantrums uh, appears to be free of uh medical substances that are helping him get to this you know historic milestone uh in this season and uh, it's just a, a a pleasure to to see, given how little, you know, how 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 much we have reason to find uh, our athletes, people with uh, feet of clay. So that's mine. If anybody has anything, you can jump in, or I can just say, uh, I hope uh, you know we will be back on Wednesday. Please have a meaningful. Rosh Hashanah, have apples, have honey, toss your bread upon the waters, uh, and we will be back with you uh, during Cholomoed. For Abe, Noah, and Christine, I'm John Podhoritz. Keep the candle burning.